Sports Etc. is New England's hockey leader since 1980. For over 30 years, we have specialized in fitting players of all ages for hockey and goalie equipment. We understand that anyone can sell hockey equipment, but not everyone can truly fit hockey equipment. We carry all the major hockey brands like Bauer, CCM, Reebok, Easton, Graf, Warrior, Vaughn, Bryans, and many more. Located at 1303 Massachusetts Avenue, Arlington, Mass., and on the web at sportsetc.net, experience the difference at Sports Etc. Welcome back to the My Hockey Live podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. I'm joined today by Jake Levin of the Boston Globe and, of course, My Hockey Live. And you can catch his work on NBC10 Boston. Jake, welcome back. Brandon, good to be back. It uh, feels like this should be a state tournament preview kind of episode, but what can you do? I know. I know. Uh, you know, we're fortunate to uh, have been able to work together finally. Uh Covering the co- <laughs> three months, <laughs> we covered uh, we covered a lot of hockey uh, over the podcast, of course, in the last you know whatever seven eight weeks. But uh, we finally were able to work together in person at the Patriot League Cup. We did both the boys and the girls championship games. Uh, you were down there for the majority of the tournament. Uh, you saw the semifinals and the finals. Uh, take me through, or take our listeners through anyway, the the semifinal matchups. Uh, you know, I was there for the Hanover versus Marshfield game, which had, I think, a different result than a lot of people would have expected. Um, what did you see in that game to start? Well, you had the four best teams left uh, on both sides, both the boys and the girls side. I think that's the way the bracket was designed. Uh, going back to that Hanover Marshfield game, um, that was just two, probably the two most evenly matched teams in the Patriot League. Uh, you know, we all we know this is Marshfield's first year in the Patriot um, as a full member. They've been playing Hanover the last couple of years, and those have been some close battles. So I wasn't really surprised that that was a 2-1 game, came down to the third period. Uh, it was a shorthanded goal that got Marshfield on the scoreboard. That was the freshman. Uh, Tommy Carroll scored that one, and then uh, Dan Kane, a veteran leader there, scored the go-ahead goal uh, that wound up being the game winner. And, you know, two as we know, as we've said on this podcast many times, two of the best programs in the state going at it there in Hanover and Marshfield. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if one's Division One, one's Division Three. Uh, those teams play each other ten times. It's probably going to be five five, uh, give or take. So that was a great matchup to see. And then later on, uh, Hingham Situate. Um, that was the first time those teams had played since about two thousand two. Um, that was a fun one too. And we were trying to figure out beforehand the last time, uh, those teams had played and Tony Messina, of course, who's a Hingham alum, he remembered playing against Situate when, um, he was in high school, Hingham assistant coach, Andy Marhoffer, he's a Situate alum. So they remembered playing against one another back in the eighties, but I guess they had both forgotten about those games, uh, in the early two thousands. Um, either way, it was cool to see Hingham go up against, some of their regional rivals uh, in other sports that they don't always play, that they hadn't played in you know, two decades in Hanover and Situate. Uh, it's way too soon to tell if Hingham will continue to play a Patriot League schedule or anything of that kind, but I would certainly, I would, I'm a proponent of keeping Hanover and Situate in addition to Marshfield and Duxford, who they always play anyways, um, on those schedules. Now, in terms of the Patriot Cup itself, 
you know, I could understand the gripe with it was double elimination for one round only in that those games that hang him in Marshfield wound up losing to Hanover and Situate respectively. That was the only game where the teams got a mulligan. And then all of a sudden, uh, Situate comes back, they lose to Hingham, they don't get a mulligan, and Hanover comes back, they lose to Marshfield, and that's it. If it were any other season, you'd say, well, what's going on here? But uh, given the, you know, I guess the fortune, just happy to be there um, sort of tone of, especially as the weeks got on, I don't think it's that big of an issue. If these league tournaments do continue in the future, and I get a good feeling that they will, uh, I don't think that's the type of format we're really going to want to see. I think it would have to be a little more equitable. But the tournament itself, in terms of going down to Gallo and putting on a product at Gallo, where um, especially Hanover, Marshfield, Stitchwood, maybe to a lesser extent, Hangham, they're used to more of the Super 8 type of atmospheres. But really great to give those kids the normalcy of playing a game at Gallo, even if the place wasn't rocked out like it normally is. Uh, they were able to have some parents in there, and I'll tell you, the parents can still be pretty loud. They still got it. So um, it's just an unbelievable atmosphere. Kudos to the Patriot League ADs for making that possible. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if league tournaments continue going forward. How does that affect Hingham? You know, will they kind of have to join the Patriot League for boys hockey full time? Could they maybe do a Notre Dame type deal where, you know, Notre Dame, I'm talking Notre Dame football, where they're still technically an independent, but they had to add on some more ACC games as it is to their schedule. And again, this isn't 2020. This is, yeah, you know, quote unquote, normal season, 2018, whatever. Um, you know, will Hingham have to play more than just Marshfield and Duxbury? So, I don't know. I'm just spitballing here because we don't even know what's going to happen with the Super 8 itself. Um, but for one year, the Patriot Cup, I think it's a pretty good template to follow, uh, especially with those neutral site uh, championships. Yeah, and there was no question about the quality of the game, the, the championship game between uh, Hingham and Marshfield. That, oh, it was that unbelievable. Game, it that felt, game it had, felt like a tournament game. Yeah, it really felt like a tournament game right to the very end. Uh, that game was hard fought, very physical, fast. Uh, fun to watch. There were a lot of people there that were commenting afterwards, you know, to the, to the naked eye. That was a playoff high school hockey game. It was, uh, you know, there were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, the crowd, of course, was was not a crowd. It was a gathering. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it certainly was that atmosphere. And, you know, on the girls' side, uh, you know, you had Pembroke against uh, Duxbury in a game that, um, you know, on paper, you would have thought, you know, Duxbury comes in with, you know, uh, Pembroke's only defeat is to Duxbury first game of the season, two nothing loss. Uh, and, and, you know, Duxbury had been dominant all season long on the girls side. And Pembroke won the Patriot League on, uh, on the Fisher side. Duxbury won on the Keenan side. Pembroke had a great season, had some real young stars on that team. Uh, that was a that was quite a good game, too, despite the score. And that's what we expected. You know, at Pembroke, they didn't lose again after uh, losing their opener to Duxbury. Wound up winning 13 straight games. Uh, Duxbury, with, they, with the ability they had over not just Pembroke, but the rest of the Patriot League, is that they could roll comfortably three lines and even get down into their fourth line without a huge drop-off in play. And Pembroke simply doesn't have that kind of depth even if they had four lines to roll, they just, they don't have it. So that's why we saw their great player, uh, the eighth grader, Jen Birolini. She was 
uh, double shifting really for the majority, certainly of the second and third period there. And I mean, oh, to be young, to be in eighth grade, you can do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, that was sort of the difference there, but still a really nice run by Pembroke. Um, I, I guess a Cinderella run almost, if you will. I know they've been very good for several years now under Bill Flynn. I don't think they're really sneaking up on anybody anymore. Uh, they've made the tournament every year since they split off from Whitman Hanson, formed their own team, uh, what would have been 2014-15. So Pembroke, they're one of the better programs that maybe still doesn't get quite the mainstream recognition. But, you know, hats off to Duxbury, outstanding goaltender, Anna McGinty. She had, I believe it was 11 shutouts in 16 games uh, that Duxbury wound up playing this season, or maybe it was 9-16. and 16. It was some crazy number like that. Uh, great senior defenseman in May Pittenger, uh, talent up and down that lineup. So uh, Duxbury was probably the best team in the Patriot League, and uh, they wound up showing it. So uh, in both boys and girls hockey, Patriot Cup, smashing success. Yeah, definitely. And on, on the Catholic Conference, uh, a tournament that did not go the way uh, that many would have predicted, uh, an early upset for BC High, um, and a conference championship for Zavarian in the regular season, uh, tell us a little bit about what you saw in the Catholic Conference Tournament. Well, I think it's pretty cool that Zavarian not only wins the regular season title, but they get the tournament title to back it up. Now they leave no doubt that they were the best team throughout the season in the Catholic Conference, even if the standings made it look even, and they were pretty even. We know that St. John's Prep uh, didn't play their full 10 games. I don't believe BC High did either, but... Uh, kudos to Zavarian. They were able to put all that to rest. No asterisks, nothing whatsoever. Uh, outstanding goaltending performance from Kevin McGrath. He's a senior. Came on this year, sort of split time at the start of the year, and really took that uh, job by the horns. And he was dynamic, uh, certainly later on in the second half. Remember, the Catholic Conference plays halves this season, set of periods. He was awesome. Made some big saves on CM. And I thought this was cool. Um, when CM had the penalty shot there and it was tied 1-1 early in the second half, um, LaMonica, the player who took the penalty shot for CM, we were talking about this after the game with McGrath. They used to play on a youth team together back in the day. So McGrath said he knew the move LaMonica was going to try <laughs> to put on him and that gave him the scouting advantage. So I think that was pretty cool that um, they, they sort of knew the book on each other. You know, no, uh, no secrets there. That was pretty cool. Um, it's just so interesting. It's varied. We know, look, we all know Chris Wagner played there for three right. years. And then they've continued to have really strong teams under Dave Spinelli, who's a great coach, been there for uh, more than 20 years. Or I believe this was his 20th season. Um, even the last couple of years, the talent they've had and that we've talked about on this podcast, Josh Barton, uh, Maddie Ryan, Ryan Pompicelli, going back a few years before that, you had the defenseman there and Ross Vona and uh, Tommy Dugan. Uh, so I don't know if this Zavarian team was necessarily as talented as some of those teams. And I'm not even going back to the Wagner team in 08. I'm saying the, even just last season. But um, in terms of this season, they had the right stuff. They had a dynamic scoring line. And they continued to have some great defensemen, uh, which has sort of become a hallmark uh, for Zavarian. They seem to always be in that discussion with some great players on the blue line uh, one of whom this year was dave's uh son shane spinelli was war captain or war see i should say as a captain for the hawks so 
Yeah, Zaverian, uh, no doubt about it, in my mind, best team in the Catholic Conference. And there were some upsets on the way. I think, you know, they play a seven-game series with St. John Shrewsbury or with CM or with BC High. You know, it's probably it probably goes the distance. It goes seven games one way or the other. But um, they beat who they needed to beat when the opportunity was to be had. And uh, kudos to them. They, they rose to the occasion. So, yeah, congrats to the Hawks for their first title uh, really making a count in uh, 53 years. Yeah, and and this kind of the the tournament, this conference tournament format, really has the fun side of like college basketball. Yep. You know, uh, and we talked about this on the podcast before, and we talked about it with Jim Clark, et cetera. So, uh, I, I think the major advantage here of this conference tournament format is is eventually it's a great tune up for. Um, what would be the state tournament um, moving forward? And, uh, you know, the, the way the state tournament looks with the um, the power seating and, and all sorts of other things, it's not going to have that same sort of, you know, south sectional final, north sectional final, central sectional final. Uh, so you'll lose that um, sort of marker point, um, you know, that that, that milepost uh, as a as a as a. I don't know, as a, a victory, right? As like, sure. a, you know, being able to say like, oh, we were the sectional championship and we went on to the sem- state semifinals. Um, I, I really like the idea of moving forward of having this conference tournament uh, and a conference championship like college basketball and then going into the, the one and done format. I like it a lot. I do worry a little bit, and this is a little bit selfishly, about the future of some of the great tournaments that, go on or have gone on over school vacation week. First and foremost, the Buddy Ferrer Classic in Falmouth. You think of some of the other good tournaments like the Gould Cup up at Habermock, um, the Cahoon Cup up in Burlington. I guess what it's going to come down to is that some teams are going to have to get a little more creative in their scheduling of when these tournaments happen. And I'm not talking league tournaments. I'm talking the Ferreira, the Cahoon, the Gould. Um, there's plenty of others. Those are just some of the big ones. You know, maybe it becomes like college basketball. And hey, that's why I guess college basketball is just the perfect comparison here. They have those big tournaments like your preseason NIT or your showdown for Atlantis or yeah, the Maui uh, Invitational, the, right? The, the Maui Invitational. Yeah. Yes, that was the other big one. Uh, you almost have these as kickoff events instead. And I get that would be kind of hard to do if, you know, tryouts start the day after th- or the Monday after Thanksgiving. You know, you might have to have these tournaments all over uh, Christmas vacation when there are already a lot of other great tournaments like the My Hockey Live Cup. But uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what comes of the new state tournament format. And I know Jim Clark would agree that there's a way to make this all happen. Just might take a little creativity. I'm not going to pretend I have the answer, but uh, I do think there is an answer. And I hope uh, we can embrace the new without completely abandoning the old isn't the simplest there's a middle ground to be had sure isn't the simplest explanation just extending the season three games sure (laughs) yeah i I think that would would make a lot of coaches happy yeah i mean Um, what what the construct of the the construct of the high school hockey season is 20 games or 22 if you're playing you know exclusion teams why not make it 25 or 23 if you're not? You know, like we're not talking about adding 10 games to the season. We're talking about adding three, which in essence is a week. I love telling this story. I was on a, I was on a boat to uh, Newport. I was on the Newport Providence Ferry a few summers ago. And just by chance, I'm sitting next to this guy. He's wearing a Minnesota state hockey 
tournament t-shirt and we all know about mm-hmm. minnesota and how great their tournament is and so yeah i started talking to him introduced myself i was like oh yeah i do a lot of work with the um hockey tournaments in massachusetts and i asked him you know what what's the secret sauce out there in minnesota why why is minnesota i, I kind of lapped massachusetts in a sense and uh their regular seasons are 25 games instead of 20 and i know some schools are able to play 22 with the exclusion rule and this, that, and the other, but it is such a small difference. Just go up to 25. I don't think it's that big an ask. Uh, If you extend the league season a couple of days, you know, space it out there. There's ways to do it to get to 25 that I don't think are going to be that much of a challenge. Yeah. And I think they also have the 20 minute periods there too. Yes, I believe it's at least 17, if not 20. A seven, 17 it should be a no-brainer. That's within the NFHS rulebook uh, that you're allowed to play it. And I know it doesn't sound like much. You go from set 15 to 17. Let's say they even stayed at 20 games. You go to 17-minute periods, you're adding the course of a full two and two-thirds games over the course of your season. Just mm-hmm. something to think about, a little, yeah. little math equation. Well, we don't like math on this podcast, so we're no. going to move on uh, to the Cape and Islands tournament. Um which has its championship tonight. It's a, a, a little bit of a, uh, well, it's two teams we're very familiar with here on My Hockey Live, but it's uh, it's changed up because of COVID. Explain. <laughs> so, Sandwich and Nauset, um, and this is strictly the Atlantic division. The Lighthouse division is still going on, I guess. That's actually a whole other set of issues there affecting the lighthouse division on the boys side as well as the girls tournament they combined their tournaments which we can get to but sandwich and nosset i guess had i don't think it was a player on their teams uh test positive they were exposed unfortunately and so sandwich um was supposed to play barnstable whom they had beat uh i think they swept in the regular season i beat them twice Nossett uh, was set to play Falmouth, and then, you know, let's just say it had been Falmouth and Sandwich in the final. Uh, Sandwich tied Falmouth once, and Falmouth beat them by a goal once. So you really feel for Sandwich in this situation. I think uh, they had as good a chance as anybody to win this tournament, and no guarantees. You know, Barnstable, great program there with Tim Grace. I mean, they could have easily beaten sandwich as well Thursday, we know how hard it is to beat a team uh three times whether we're talking the nfl or high school hockey or whatever but um yeah you you certainly feel for sandwich but they did uh win a share of the regular season title so at least they do have that to fall back on but now we get found within barnstable for a third time and uh i, I can't really complain with that outcome either uh, it's going to be exciting i'll be down there it's going to be my first and only trip to falmouth this year, which is a shame because usually I'm down there at least five or six times. Uh, love being down there. So, you know, something will be better than nothing. <laughs> Stop me if you've heard that one this winter. Uh, so I am excited to get down there. And even though it won't be your normal um, Falmouth Barnesville game with, you know, standing room only, it'll, it'll still be pretty cool to be down there with a, with a trophy on the line. Uh, and then over on the girls' side, this is where it gets even more wonky, I guess. There was a false positive on the Martha's Vineyard girls team. That had an effect, as did the situations with Nosset and Sandwich. 
And so at first, all these teams were out of the tournament. And then I guess the athletic directors got together. And now, barring any further hiccups, which, you know, hold your breath, uh, literally there for the hiccups, uh, we'll see what happens. And they're all supposed to play tomorrow, I guess. Uh, There's going to be some first-round games. And then I guess they're wrapping it up by Sunday. Um, so I think it's nice. The Cape and Islands, which didn't start until I think January 11th, they were a little bit later than a lot of other leagues in getting underway. I think it's nice. They've been able to have this extra week and uh, it really is the only show in town. I know um, there's some Boston City League basketball that's been going on right now, but in terms of high school athletic uh, games that count right now, it's for hockey, it's just the Cape and Islands. So I think that's cool to uh, spotlight uh, the great hockey and the great rinks uh, that do exist uh, over on the other side of the Cape Cod Canal. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a um, sort of bleed over here into what will become fall two as the football and uh, other sport seasons uh, that will happen. Winter track actually is happening in fall two. It's a whole other thing. Uh, but the the next tournament that we wanted to feature was a DCL uh, one and DCL two. Sure, a big uh, big tournament for Boston Latin, both boys and girls winning their uh, respective divisions. I know the boys team, they played only eight games. They only won three of them, but they won their last game. And I uh, talked with Frank Woods about that uh, last week. Uh, and, it, you know, he said it feels like they're just getting going after playing eight games. But unfortunately, that was it. Uh, the girls team, I know they were able to play closer to 12 games. Uh, they have an, an amazing goaltender, the girls program there, uh, Ellie Linzo. She's been a starter, I believe, since she was in eighth grade. So five-year player there for uh, Coach Tom McGrath at Latin. And uh, they backstopped her, or she backstopped them, I should say, uh, to the title. Um, may, might not have been quite as dynamic a scoring team this year as they generally are, but she has the program record for shutouts, uh, long since established that. Um, so uh, kudos to them. Boston Latin is a very underrated hockey program uh, for both boys and girls. I feel like they might not get quite the recognition they deserve at times um, because they're not in Division One in either uh, boys or girls. But they're, you know, both those coaches, um, Frank Woods, Tom McGrath, they're both great at what they do. Uh, the boys did win a state title back in 2004. They've been to the North Final a couple years recently. I believe 2018 and 2019 they went back-to-back. And uh, the girls' team tends to be among the final eight or so teams left in their tournament every year, in a normal year, you know, quote-unquote, for the state tournament. So, uh, yeah, definitely love uh, to see Boston Latin, uh, you know, getting re- getting a little recognition. I think it's a great program. And their rink, just looking out right over uh, the South Boston waterfront there, Murphy Rink, it's uh, – it's scenic. I, I love going, uh, showing up to a game there. Um, you know, inside the rink, it's it, it's a little old fashioned, but it's a uh, it's a cool rink. You almost like you're in a time capsule when you step in there. And I, I certainly love uh, again the waterfront view. Uh, can't beat it. Yeah, uh, there are a couple of those. Like the the rink in the North End too is another one where it's just like a spectacular view. Oh, uh, is that the one? Uh, I think they have some parking for the garden. Right yes. Side of it. Yeah. And you can see in from the street level, you can yep. see into the rink and then yep. through to the to the harbor there that where, where yes. you know, Christopher Columbus Park is there uh, in the north end. It's just that that's a spectacular site. Uh, really I've been just by there in a while. No, my father used to uh, when we would go to Bruins teams, he would park there. Um, and so I would always see that rink. And I always thought that was really cool. Yeah. 
uh, you can just look inside and see the action going on. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good call. A lot yeah. of good rinks in Boston, huh? Yeah, there really are. And Warrior, too, right? Um, but of course. Speaking of the Bruins, um, a wonderful trip out to Lake Placid. I mean, Lake Placid, Lake Tahoe, sorry. Uh, a, a wonderful trip out to Lake Tahoe where they uh, defeat the Flyers 7-2. to um, You know, a hat trick for David Pasternak. Uh, outstanding work by Tuka Rask, though he wasn't all that busy. I think it was 16 saves. The... The, the Bruins seem to be, um, despite missing Andre Kasha and David Krejci on that trip, um, moving in the right direction. They are. They continue. I continue to be epically wrong in my uh, prognosis of the Bruins. I still kind of can't believe they made the Bruins and Flyers fly out to Lake Tahoe in the midst of a pandemic uh, when the whole reason they designed these regional divisions was to avoid travel like that. But whatever that's neither here nor there uh the scenery was beautiful no denying that lake tahoe um although unfortunately the nhl didn't account for the sun that that could have been a factor on saturday <laughs> uh so you know good 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 look scary batman per usual but, well hey i mean uh, as you as anyone who has a backyard rink would know or entered our backyard rink contest thank you very much uh <laughs> anyone that had a backyard rink would would have told you that you cannot put lines on the ice because um, the sun melts that spot fastest. And, and when you have a full sun, uh, you know, a rink that's going to be in full sun, you have to be really careful about what you do. Here we are on the California-Nevada border uh, with a giant rink out in the middle of the, uh, a golf course that is in full sun. Um, so yeah. it was only a matter of time before the, the, the sun melted um, that once a couple of really bad spots. Uh, thankfully, no one got hurt in that first game, the Saturday game. Um, but I mean, everything about that outside of the ice conditions in the first game, everything else was just perfect. I mean, the Bruins showing up in the 1990s gear, uh, Patrice Bergeron with his 1990 Cam Neely t-shirt on, Pasternak with the pink glasses, uh, you know, and the, and the Barbie, the Barbie girl, uh, post-game press conference. I mean, it was all just great. Fantastic. I wish the NHL would do a little bit better job marketing games like this. Again, just the fact that it happened this season just felt kind of weird to me. Usually these are supposed to be events that you really look forward to and have a lot of buildup. And I don't know what the fan situation could have been there anyways. So maybe this was the perfect season to do it uh, at Lake Tahoe if you weren't going to have many fans there. But um, I, I do wish there was even more hype around it. Although I also saw this this morning. It was, uh, the Bruins game, at least, was the most watched hockey yes. game in the history of NBCSN. Yes. I was just about to, yeah, yeah Chad Finn had tweeted, yeah, Chad yep. Finn had tweeted that, oh, your coworker there. Uh, I, I was just about to say, the, uh, say that as you finished up. Uh, a little over a million viewers um, for that game. I feel like it could have been more. And yeah, I, I again, that's, yes. That's a great number, but a little more. Come yeah, on, but, little right, more. right, right, right. What else are you doing Sunday night? There's nothing, like, there's nothing else going on this time of year. Anyways, let alone the fact it's a global pandemic and everybody's home, I, I'm a little disappointed the number wasn't a little higher even. How many episodes of House Hunters can you possibly watch? Turn what on, I'm saying. Turn on the hockey. <laughs> it's huh. not like there were any MHL games on Sunday either. I know My Hockey Live has been doing a great job. We've had uh, multiple games pretty much every night of the season Uh but there was nothing on Sunday, so you don't have that as an excuse either. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I just wish the number had been higher. Yeah, oh, no question about that. Um, and, and the Bruins do have a little bit of trouble on the horizon, right? Kasha is out still. 
whether he plays again ever is to you know anyone who has the answer to that should bet the lottery um uh, David Krejci is out with a lower body injury and uh Jeremy Lozon today uh was announced that he's going to be out at least four weeks uh they'll be reevaluating after four weeks after he had uh, surgery on his left hand so um some dings right there that are going to really test the depth of this team uh, and whether or not Don Sweeney is able to swing a deal here between now and the trade deadline, it should be interesting. Sounds like something's going on with Kevin Miller's knees again as well. Yeah, that I mean, Kevin Miller to me is a replaceable piece, right? Like a guy like Connor Clifton slides right into that spot and gives you pretty much the same, uh, I think, the same level of production. I couldn't agree more. This does go back to one of my biggest issues with the teams heading into the season, which, again, I've been mostly wrong about. Why not just re-sign Chara instead of re-sign Kevin Miller and his bionic knee? Right. I I just, you know, I get I have a soft spot for Chara, but I, I really think hindsight can and should be 2020 on that one. You could have foreseen this coming. I love Kevin Miller. I love the way he plays. But when you play like that and you already have this type of wear and tear, of course it's going to happen again. And I get the Chara. I believe he turns 44 March 18th. I might have the exact date wrong, but he's going to be 44 next month. I get all that. He's, you know, he's not quite Cal Ripken. He's close to it in terms of his durability. He's not quite Tom Brady, but he's close to it in terms of, uh, you know, maybe not still performing at peak Chara level, but in terms of staying healthy and being available, step for step with Brady since his 40th birthday, if you want to go down that road. So I, it's, again, I really, I wish Chara was still here, but I'm not going to complain too much with the Bruins in first place. Right, Sam. Uh, before we close, I, I do want to um, talk a bit about our friend Pat Sirio, who passed away. Uh, Pat was, you know, probably the most important person, uh, to make my hockey live what it is today. Uh, Pat was our camera guy, uh, a production guy, um, on, on top of all of those, you know, sort of professional things, a great guy. Um, Pat was the kind of person that when he saw you, you knew where you stood with Pat because the first thing he would say to you would be something to bust your chops. Um, and that meant that he liked you or that he absolutely hated you. And he was just being honest <laughs> or he was just being honest. Right. Um, For but sure. yeah, uh, I, you know, we both loved Pat, uh, Pat, unfortunately passed away at the age of 61 to, uh, due to COVID last week, um, which is a really hard, uh, thing to talk about and a hard loss for the, my hockey live family. But, um, you know, y- your thoughts on, on the life of Pat Serio and his friendship and, well, right, friendship, right there, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Above all else, he was a he was a great coworker and great at what he did. Pat was a friend, absolutely was. I I was I was afraid of Pat at first when I first met him. <laughs> I was afraid of letting him down. Uh, when I first met him, the very first time um, I went to a staff meeting, if you will, for my hockey lab. This is back in the fall of 2014. So we're going back a ways here. And, uh, you know, obviously Mark Igo, um, his vision that got my hockey live off the ground. And I sort of met, you know, some of the other people who were going to be involved. And I remember meeting Pat Sarah and I was like, this, this guy's a, he's a professional. It's good we have somebody like him. And I was always afraid of sort of letting him down and not being up to snuff. And 
as soon as I got beyond those initial fears, I realized that's just a giant teddy bear. He's yep. unbelievable. He's yeah. so good at what he does um, that it might cut. It may have come off as a little intense at times, but it wasn't intensity. That's just, he knew what he was doing, and there's a reason his services were so in demand uh, beyond just the world of high school hockey. I don't think people realize he did do more than just hockey. Yep. There are a lot of schools um, in Eastern Mass when he lived in Hadley, which is right next to the UMass uh, Amherst campus. He did. He had stuff going on with Malden Catholic with. Newton South with Austin Prep. So clients, big and small, of all shapes and sizes. Yale. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to get there. He did <laughs> Yale lacrosse. He did Yale men's lacrosse. Who, right. I guess won a national championship a couple years ago. Um, and then the horse shows. Yeah. Flying all over the country doing horse shows. So that, he was more than he was more than just a one-trick pony. Uh, Steal from the horse show terminology there. Um yeah, I'm sure he's rolling his eyes at us, uh, idolizing him like this and right. praising him. Yeah, but uh, right. just truly, I never, never dreaded covering a game with Pat, even if it was you know, a Saturday night and I could have been somewhere else and I wanted to be doing something else and I wasn't feeling good. Maybe and this is going back before COVID. I'm not saying I was doing this fight, but the COVID days. But you know, if it's 20 degrees and snowing and it's just I don't want to be outside covering a game, but I know I'm working with Pat and they, it makes it a little bit better. And it wound up being a lot better. I never, ever had a bad time covering a game with Pat. And that's not to say I have a bad time covering a game with Jeff Lane or any of our other outstanding production people as well. But, um, it, Pat was the OG. Yeah. He was the God, he was the Godfather. He yep. was, I said this on the broadcast last week to, uh, impress, my high school biology teachers. He was the mitochondria. He was the powerhouse of the cell that kept this all together. Um, God, it still doesn't feel real. Uh, I know. It's... Yeah, well, uh, I know. I, right. No, you're right. Right. And, you know, I, I do want to leave it with a final story. I'm not sure I shared this with you or not, but um, we, uh, you know, we were doing games at Songus for the Super 8 and we'd be up there. Uh, you know, not last year, but because uh, it didn't happen. But the year before, oh, well, yeah, it did happen last year. So you know, we're, it made it. It might have been last year. So we're up there at the Super Eight at Songus, and you know, everybody's kind of moving around, and uh, we're we're all kind of stuck in that broadcast area. Uh, but behind us, diagonally behind us, maybe three or four sections away, is uh, Sal's Pizza, which oh yes, you know. If you've ever had Sal's Pizza, you know about Sal's Pizza, right? If you know, you know. It's a gigantic slice of pizza. Um, you know, two slices of Sal's Pizza is actually a half of a pizza. So each slice is a quarter of a sheet, uh, a quarter of a circle pizza. So it's between games. I'm starving. Uh, I haven't eaten. It's, you know, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I, I'm going to run over there. I go, Pat, you want a slice of pizza? He goes, yeah, I'll take a piece, slice of pizza. And he hands me five bucks. And I, I kind of look at the money and I'm like, I know that these sli- <laughs> these slices are like nine bucks at this place, right? So I, I go in there, I get my pizza, I get Pat's pizza, I come back. He goes, "What? Nothing to drink?" <laughs> and I've got my I've got my diet coke that I bought myself, and I go, "Oh, oh, uh, no, here you go, Pat." So he got out of me a slice of pizza, how uh, more than a half a slice of pizza and a coke that would have run like I don't know twelve dollars at the concession stand for five bucks, and I handed it over while smiling. Um, it's too good. And that's the kind of, that's the, like, Pat had that, there was just that thing <laughs> about him, right? Like that, that was Pat, right? Oh, too good. Too good. Yeah. So any final thoughts? Thank you, Pat. <laughs>
Yeah. That, that, that's all on that. Um, uh, and then just in general, it's just a bummer that um, the MIA season is more or less over. I know we still have the Cape and Islands tournament and a few um, ISL games we'll be doing over the next couple of weekends. But, uh, it, boy, it was just such a mad dash this season. And, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, 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 if for as much as I'm not ready for it to be over, it's... Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of at a loss for words still when it comes to Pat and yeah. sort of mix, mixing this work-life um, balance. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm usually quick with my words. You got to be with play-by-play, right? Yeah, uh, right, I, right. I can't, I can't really think of anything else to say here. Well, with that, um, a huge thank you to uh, to Mark Igo for introducing us to Pat. Uh and to Sally Serio and her kids for sharing Pat with us. Uh, and we don't usually do this, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we're not gonna have any outro music. This is uh, for Pat. We're going out in silence. Thank you, Pat. <laughs>